Amen. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, choir. Wonderful time of worship. Wouldn't you agree, church? Amen. Amen. Thankful for the opportunity to gather with the saints and lift high the name of Jesus. As I mentioned to you just a little bit ago, we are in Philippians chapter 3 this morning. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. The joy of knowing Jesus Christ. The joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And if you're a guest with us this morning, um, I, I would encourage you, if you would, you might have gotten one of these bulletins when you came in. There's a little tear-off tab. If you would, just drop it off to one of us uh, before you leave today. I just want to be able to reach out to you and say thank you so much for joining us for worship this morning. And uh, we promise not to, to, <laughs> to blow up your email or anything like that, but we, we want to be able to send you some stuff and just say thank you for joining us here today. Even if you're not a local resident, you're just here visiting. Thank you for being with us today if you are a guest. If you're not a guest, welcome home. Glad that you're here. I'm glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Um, for those of you that uh, maybe have not been here the past several weeks, we have been in the book of Philippians. We've been looking at this series, Rejoice, Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in this, we, we came off of last week where we hit the middle of the story. We hit the middle of the letter and why Paul has been writing this letter. And we looked at the travel log, as we refer to it, where Paul is telling the Philippians that he hopes to soon send Timothy to them. But in the meantime, he will send Epaphroditus. And we talked about the example of those two men. The example of how we, as followers of Christ, can model ourselves after them, ultimately modeling our lives after Jesus, pursuing him, pursuing holiness. But there's examples of what they have accomplished in Scripture and the life that they lived uh, for us to be able to take to ourselves. And we ended the sermon yes uh, yesterday, last week, talking about how to follow the example of Christ. And so here we are today, and we're moving into the second half of the story. We've got about three more weeks after this week of this sermon series. And we're at this point now where Paul is going back to teaching. He's, he's talked through the first two chapters all the way through until that travel log, talking about this joy and this pursuit of living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. As, we've, as we have said for several weeks, that is the thesis of the story. The reason why Paul is writing the letter to the Philippians is for, the, 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 for them to live their lives in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, Paul is going to continue teaching them of that subject matter, teaching them of what it means to have joy in the midst of circumstances, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so today we're going to see how, as Paul's talking to the Philippians, which is also to us as believers in Christ, uh, how we are to examine our lives and live our lives of this in mind and know Jesus and pursue Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. So with that said, let's stand together for one last time as we honor the reading of God's Word, as we do, and look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. The word of the Lord says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord, we thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you so much for the wonderful time of worship that we've had to you this morning in song. And Father, now as we continue to worship, following our time of giving, that is worship to you, Lord, we come to you now and we look at your word. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us right now. Use this sinful man that's been saved by your grace to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, I pray, Lord, that whatever distractions we may have going on in our lives right now, that they would all fade away. Whatever it is from the week past, the week coming forward, things that are coming down the line, whatever it may be, God, let those things fade away so that we hear from heaven right now. Lord, as I prayed earlier, if there are things that we need to repent of, call us to repentance. If there's things that we need conviction of, convict us. And if there's things that you are telling us to do next, that you are calling us to do, whether individually or corporately as a congregation, Lord, speak. Above all things, Father, I pray, Lord, that you be glorified here in this place. We pray for Pastor Adam as he is preaching. He's already preached an earlier service at Restoration, and he's preaching now. Father, I pray, God, that you would use him powerfully. Proclaim the goodness of the gospel through him to his people that you have called him to. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. So as I was saying, Paul is warning these Philippian believers. He's warning these believers of false teaching. We're going to see that today. He's going to warn them of works of the flesh. And he is going to encourage them to feed on the gospel and to feed on knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, I want to tell you, in in culture today, we can tend to get very legalistic about things. We can tend to want to check off several things or to do several things, to do it in a certain order, to make things happen the way we think they're supposed to happen. And unfortunately, sometimes in the Christian walk, I think that the enemy uses that mindset to kind of throw us off. He, he uses this, the, these things to tempt us and to, to take our focus off of the truth of the gospel. And he makes us think that we have to continually check off a list to meet approval with God. If you're here today and you do not know Christ Jesus as Lord, I want to encourage you. You may have been sitting there and might have been thinking through your life, there are things that I need to continually make sure that I am doing because I don't want to get out of good standing with God. I want to tell you right now that that is a lie from hell. The truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect sinless life, and then went to the cross at Calvary and took on God's wrath that was reserved for sinners, which is you and I, and that wrath was poured out on him until he gave up his life and he died. 
but then was resurrected to the new life on the third day. And because of that, the way between man and God has been made right. And then it comes about the part where we need to be repentant of our sins and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead. And as the Bible says, then we are saved. So if you are trying to uh, keep up in good standing with God, I want to tell you, stop. Do you want to walk in obedience? Of course. We're commanded by God to pursue holiness. We're commanded by God to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. I want to tell you ahead of time, don't feel like you have to keep doing things to earn favor with God or you're going to go out of favor with God because that is not the gospel. The gospel is freely given by Jesus Christ and his atoning work at the cross. There's no need for that. Why do I bring that up? Because of things that Paul is specifically describing here today. So if you're taking notes, I hope you are. The first point that you can see, you're going to see me talk about feeding and you're going to see me talking about fleeing. The first thing we're going to see is to feed on the gospel. Feed on the gospel. Look again at verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul is writing this transitional phrase, finally. He's starting to put his vision on the outsource of the, of, of the letter that he's been writing. He's, been trying to, he's now trying to shift his focus to the ending so that they can take these things and continually apply them. So he says there to them, rejoice in the Lord and to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. Paul is okay with repeating himself. He's okay with repeating the things of God that he's been teaching the Philippians. It's no trouble for him to do it. As a matter of fact, as he says, it is good for them to hear them again. Those of us in this room that know Christ Jesus as Lord, wouldn't we all agree in our walk with Christ thus far, we have continually been reminded by things of the Lord over and over and over again, have we not? It's because we're sinners still. We're saved by God's grace, but we're still sinners. We still can be hard-headed. I know I can. Miranda's in the nursery. If she was in here, she would say amen at that point. My mother-in-law just said amen. Y'all heard it. But we, we can have those moments. We're going to be hard-headed. We have those times where we still struggle with sin. But thank God for his grace and mercy has been poured out on us. But we have to be reminded of the truths of the gospel. So that's why for this point, we said feed on the gospel. It's this continual reminder to open the word of God. And come before the Lord daily and rely and say, God, I know through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells me that you are going to speak the truth to me over and over and over again. Matter of fact, I'm counting on it, Lord, because I know that you will do that. I trust that you will do that. I trust that no matter what circumstance I'm in right now, I may need to hear it over and over and over again until it gets in here and not just stays here, but goes here. We need to continually feed on the gospel. We need to continually feed on the good news. Because it's the greatest news ever. It is the news that you've heard over and over we say that the people outside the walls in our community need to hear. They need to see us proclaim and demonstrate the gospel through our words and through our actions. They need to see that. And so if we are not continually feeding on the Word of God and feeding on the Gospel and, and spending that time with the Lord in prayer and being reminded over and over and over again of these truths, 
then we're going to be just like spiritual infants, still trying to take on milk instead of growing and being transformed and, and, and being able to take on the meat of what God has for us in his word. So we must remember to continually feed on the gospel. Because as Paul says, it's no trouble to him and it is safe for you. It is safe for you, Philippians. It is safe for you, Holmes Avenue. It is safe for us to continually be reminded of these truths. Moving right along to the second point. Flee false teaching. Flee false teaching. Look at verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now Paul comes here and he says, look out for the dogs. Paul says that and you may, if you've been sitting here through the series or you've read through the book of Philippians before, you may think that Paul is maybe referencing those that were still preaching the gospel but were doing it from rivalry and conceit. You may think that those are the people that Paul's referring to back in chapter 1. But if you remember what Paul said about them back in chapter 1, although they were doing those things from rivalry and conceit, although they were not doing it for the right reasons, what was still happening? The gospel was being preached. And Paul said, in that, I rejoice. And so he could still rejoice in the fact that that was happening with those. These are different people that Paul's referring to. Paul is referring to these false teachers in different ways. He calls them dogs. These are, he calls them this term, and it's, it's, a, it's a negative term for sure, because they're these false teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in that culture... The Jews would label non-Jews sometimes as unclean dogs because of their being ritually unclean. And because of their eating a kosher diet, the Gentiles, they would eat uh, indiscriminately, kind of like a dog would. And that, that's the way it was kind of referred to at that time. And so Paul takes this, this term that is, that is known about, and he, he, and, he, and he refers to these false teachers as dogs. Because these false teachers had a reliance on the flesh. They had a reliance on the flesh, and they were preaching things that did not revolve around faith in Jesus Christ at all. They were teaching a false gospel. Paul also says there that they are evil doers. They're evil doers because they were false teachers, and they were going against the teachings of the truth of the gospel. Matter of fact, what they were doing is they were being very liberal in their teaching and they were doing this works-based mindset. The only way that you can be saved is if you do this, this, or this, or X, Y, and Z. When we know our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is what saves us, based on what I said earlier and based on the truth of the Scriptures. Jesus was very explicit and his teachings on a subject matter like this. Matter of fact, in Matthew 23, 15, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, or a convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Man, Jesus is straightforward about that, isn't he? But it's the truth, because they're, they're preaching this false message. The Pharisees were placing these converts under a burdensome weight and this long list of rules and things that they had to do. That is not the gospel. That's not the gospel. It's a free gift of God that we cannot do anything to earn. It's a free gift. 
So there, there's no need to be able to stop and say that we have to accomplish all these things or, or do even things like they are saying to do. Because plain and simple, Jesus paid it all. Did he not? It's like the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. When he paid that price at Calvary, it was paid in full. There's no debt. There's no things that you have to do to still pay it off. Jesus paid it in full. Paul also refers to them as mutilators. He refers to these false teachers or these dogs as mutilators because they would go around stating that in order to be saved, a person must be physically circumcised. For example, Acts 15.1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, what are they referring to? They're referring to the Old Testament law. In Leviticus, for example, chapter 12, it tells us that on the eighth day, they were to be circumcised. And they were, they were wanting to honor the law, and they wanted to do that. But here's the thing. They were saying that it was strictly based off of that. And doing these other things, that is what you must do. Where, where Paul is going around, this is Paul that was once Saul, that is radically converted by Jesus Christ. His glory knocking Paul off of a horse. This is Paul who is transformed by Jesus Paul knows the truth of the gospel. And so Paul, that's why he's, he's arguing these things. But he's stating that putting confidence in physical circumcision only is a means of putting confidence on the flesh. Or, or you could fill that in whatever you want. Uh, you know, only at, being at church every time the doors are open. I want you to be there every time the doors are open. That'd be great. But if you think that that's the only way that you are in favor with God, you need to understand that there's more to that. It's it's because of Jesus' atoning work. It's because of salvation that is offered to us by what Jesus has done. It's faith in Christ. By requiring such teaching, these false teachers were demonstrating the fact that these things need to happen. Now, I'm not saying that the circumcision actually ties in with this, but let me, let me just give you an example for, for in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, these false teachers were much like the false prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings 18.28, it says, And they cried out aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. They were mutilating their flesh. They were doing that. Paul's saying that that is not necessary. Faith in Christ is what is necessary. It is what is key here. So Philippians, don't give in to these false teachings. Now, I want to to make sure that we point out this fact. We know from our study through the book of 1 John on Sunday nights that this wasn't something that was just happening that Paul was writing about to Philippians, or to Philippi. John was writing to his followers as well, his, the believers, his little children as he referred to them. Because there were those that, it, it was in chapter 2 that John tells us, have abandoned and have been preaching a false heretic gospel. And they were leaving the church. We have to be aware of false teachings. Now I will tell you, church, by God's grace, and if everything goes, goes well at, during our business meeting this afternoon, I will be called as your pastor here. And I have brothers in this church and sisters that I rely on 
to keep me accountable. I rely on all of you to keep me accountable to the teaching of God's word. But I have specific people in this congregation that I can trust and I know will come to me and say, hey, you're off there. You got to fix that. And I can look and examine God's word with them and I thank God for that. I have brother pastors outside of this church that will listen to those teachings to keep me accountable. Because I don't want to fall into a, a person that's preaching heresy. I want to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as I've been called to. And, and the same is true for, for I'll put you on the spot, brother, but Walter, if he comes up here when he preaches, Michael, anytime someone in this church is teaching in a Sunday school class or a Bible study, we want to make sure that we are teaching the truth of God's word, Period. But we have to be mindful because there are those outside that preach a false gospel. And you have to be aware of that. You have to be aware of that. Third thing we see, flee works of the flesh. Flee works of the flesh. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Paul says here that we are the circumcision. He's referring to the inward, internal transformation that happens to us when we know Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells us. We are transformed. We go from having a ticket to eternal separation and damnation with God, away from God in hell, to having a ticket of eternal salvation that is reserved for us in heaven. There's a major transformation that takes place. Praise God for it, that we have that transformation. There is something that happens in God's favor. His grace and mercy has been given to us. Excuse me. Notice also here that Paul states that it is that we worship by the Spirit. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. It is by the Holy Spirit that indwells us, as I said. Now, Jesus even said that this would happen. John chapter 16, 14 says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, the one that he would send for us after his ascension, just as he did, just as the scriptures tell us. Verse 4 says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now Paul's about to go into this, and Paul is not boasting in the fact of the things in the flesh. But if, if, if there are those that are proclaiming that, that that is what is needed for salvation, Paul is saying, listen, if that's the case, let me go ahead and tell you what I've done. If, if that is the case, nobody can hold a candle to what I've done. Look at verse 5, for example. Circumcised on the eighth day. Paul's saying that on the eighth day I was circumcised. I, I was part of the Levitical law. That's what I did. If you, if you want to go back and be able to reference that, that's from Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, by the way. But, if you, but he says that I was physically circumcised on the eighth day. He says next, of the people of Israel. He ties in and indicates his line of God's people. He says next, after that, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's continually making the line show, I go all the way back of the tribe of Benjamin. This, this is me. This is me. And then he says next, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, man, listen, I've got it all in that regard. 
If it is based on the works of the flesh, nobody's got this compared to me. I've got it. There's no need for anybody to boast anything else because you can't handle what I've got. He says there also at the end, as to the law, a Pharisee. He was part of the religious leaders. He was part of the people of the day. Those people. Now I'm going to insert something here. You have to remember, if you read through the Gospels and you hear about these Pharisees, they have the Messiah literally there in front of him and they don't even see him. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, these religious leaders, these rulers, they know the Old Testament law. They know the Scriptures. Yet when Jesus Christ in the flesh is standing in front of them, they don't even realize it's Him. Matter of fact, they don't like the the, the following that Jesus has. And what happens? They sentence Him to death. They start the uproar, which leads Jesus to Calvary. If they truly had more than just the head knowledge and they had a transformed heart, they would have seen their Lord standing in front of them. Paul, before he is converted, has all of these things of the flesh, all of these things that he can boast in, but it gets him nothing. It gets him nothing. Same is true for any of us in here. If we do not have faith in Christ Jesus... We can have all the things. We can have a long list of the accomplishments that we have, the things that we've done for the church, the things that we've done for God. But if we have not had a regenerate heart, we do not have the peace and the hope of eternal life with God forever. It's the truth of the gospel. We must have that Verse 6 says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says, listen, I was zealous. I was enthusiastic in persecuting the church. You see, in doing so, he thought at the time, again, pre-conversion, before knowing Jesus, he thought that he was doing the right thing by killing, by killing unfaithful Israelites. When in reality, that was wrong. That's not good. That is wrong. That is evil. That is wicked. Matter of fact, again, Jesus speaks to this subject matter. Jesus says in John 16, 2 through 3, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Paul says, at that time, before I knew Jesus, I did these things, and I thought I was doing the right thing. I now know, after knowing Christ, man, that was wrong. Those were wrong things. Those were not the things of God. He finishes verse 6 by saying, as righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul thought that he was living a blameless, sinless life because he was checking the box of the law. Here's the truth of the law. We still can read the Old Testament law and we still see the truth in there that we need to honor and we need to do in our pursuit of holiness. If you are in Christ, you still need to honor the things that are taught. You still need to not murder. You still need to not commit adultery. You still need to not have any God before God Almighty. I'm referencing the Ten Commandments specifically there. But here's the truth. 
Here's the truth about the law, the Old Testament law. We, in our sinful state, as sinners, we cannot, we cannot check every single part of the law and say that we do it all without sinning. That's the reason Jesus had to come. That's the reason why following the works of the flesh, following the law only, without faith in Jesus Christ, gets you nowhere. That is why we need to have Christ in our lives. That's why we need to be regenerated by the power of the Gospel. That is why we pursue Christ in His Word. That is why we pray continually. That is why we come alongside brothers and sisters and disciple one another to grow in the faith so that we can then take it to more people. It's all part of God's transforming work and His plan. Last point. Feed on the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Feed on the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Verse 7 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's saying no matter what I had, to boast about in my flesh. None of it matters. Nothing else matters besides Christ. Verse 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now verses 8 through 11, it's a long sentence in the Greek. So we're just going to break it down bit by bit just for a moment. That first part of verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Nothing else matters to Paul. Nothing. Paul is understanding in the big picture, Christ is enough. Christ is all that I need. Paul considered the gains, the power, prestige, being able to say he had all these things. They're nothing. They're nothing. They're, they're nothing but rubbish. Matter of fact, that second part of verse 8, he says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, when you see that word rubbish, if you're in here right now and you have a King James Version of your Bible, you will see in there, or you should see in there, that instead of the word rubbish, you may see dung. Everybody knows what dung is. Okay? Paul is saying that all of those things all of those things, they're filthy, they're disgusting, they are of no importance. They need to be tossed out. They're, they're, there's nothing of that stuff that is good for me. There's nothing of it that is good. Because there's, there's nothing that matters more than the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. I count it all as rubbish. I count it all as dung. I count it all as that for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There's nothing more important than knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. There's nothing more important to follow of Christ than being obedient and living a life surrendered to Him. There's nothing more important than that. Verse 9 tells us, and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on 
faith. That first part of verse 9 where it says, and be found in him, it, it again indicates that spiritual change that has taken place in one's life. That spiritual change that when the time comes and we stand before God in the end, He looks at us and says, come in, my child. We are looked at as not guilty because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers us by His blood being poured out at Calvary. The second part of 9b and c, it says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. One whom is in Christ is only considered righteous, is what I was just saying a second ago, is only considered righteous because of Christ's righteousness. A couple weeks ago when Walter preached, you heard him reference this verse. You've heard me reference it in the past. I'm going to reference it again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake... He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This was God's work. This was God's plan. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. Doesn't mean that he sinned. But God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. That moment on the cross when his wrath is poured out, that was reserved for us. So that in him we might become the righteous of God. So that when God looks at a child of his, he sees where the blood of Jesus was poured out for that person. He sees the righteousness of Christ that covers us. We are justified. Just as if we had never sinned. God looks upon us and he sees that righteousness. And as Paul finishes in verse 9, that righteousness of God that depends on faith. It depends on faith in Christ. Christ Jesus is the key to the whole scenario. He's the final puzzle piece. That is how we get salvation. It's through the atoning work of Jesus at Calvary. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that, may, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He says there in that first part that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. There's obvious power in that, right? There's obvious power because that power is what raised Jesus from the grave. That power is what brought Jesus up whenever Satan thought that the whole thing was over. Jesus died, it is finished. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, those religious leaders, they said, ha, finally, we shut him up. He's dead, he's gone. Put a stone in front because he talked about all this kind of stuff about being raised and all this stuff. Just make sure that his followers don't come and take his body. So they roll the stone in front. They seal it. They put guards there to make sure that nobody comes and messes with the body. And yet God in his supernatural power raises Jesus from the dead. Stone is moved away and Jesus gets out of the tomb. There's power in that. Romans 8, 8, uh, excuse me, 8, 10 through 11 says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. There's the beauty of the gospel right there. The beauty of the gospel. 
Paul says in the last part of verse 10 that he may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. If you recall back from chapter 1, verse 29, a few weeks ago, Paul states that God graciously grants, he uses the word granted, grants the gift of suffering to the believers, followers of Christ. And we talked about that and what that looks like. God has ordained that to take place, that we share in the sufferings of Christ. And you may be at a point where you're like, man, I've experienced the suffering before. If you're in Christ, my my prayer is that you would be able to say that although you've experienced and, and seen that suffering, the reliance on God and the joy that he still gives you in the midst of that suffering is what pulls you through it. It's the, it's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of although we have to share in these sufferings, God takes us and he leads us. He provides for us every step of the way. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't say, ah, oh, you're not worth it anymore. No, you are worth it. Because Jesus died for you. Jesus suffered for you. Paul's referencing how we will suffer as Jesus suffered. What was the purpose of Jesus' suffering? I just said it. It was us. It was so that we could have the opportunity to know God for eternity. To worship Jesus for all time when our life here was over. Jesus suffered for the sake of others in obedience to the Father. Now, there may be times where for the sake of someone else, we may have to experience suffering. And that's going to look different in many different kind of ways. But as Jesus went through whatever he had to go through to minister to someone, to care for someone, if God gives us the opportunity to do something where we come along somebody, minister to them, care for them, maybe even have to suffer through that, as hard as it may be right now to say it, there is joy in that. Because you are being used by God that created everything for the purpose of proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel to someone who needs that truth. Verse 11 tells us that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I love how Jason C. Meyer, one of the biblical scholars that uh, I read about, I read his writings, he says there, and he's referencing this in light of Romans 8, 17, but he says, sharing in suffering must come before sharing in glory. We're going to share in glory one day with Jesus. But here in this life, we may have to suffer at different times. My prayer is that we will find the joy in the midst of that. Because as we've said continually over these last several weeks, what is the promise that Jesus gives to the disciples right before he ascends into heaven? I will be with you always to the end of the age. He is with us always. Rejoice in that church. Rejoice in the fact that he is with us always forever. Band, you can come forward. As the band's coming forward, we're just gonna we're gonna move into this time of singing a song. And the song that we're gonna sing is Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. My prayer for you is that if you have a relationship with Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you rejoice in the fact of that blessed assurance you have that Jesus is yours. 
And if you maybe have been going through something or you, man, you're, you're struggling with sin or whatever it may be and you need prayer, or you need to, to ask about what, what do I need to do to repent and to truly flee from this? Like, you don't have to do it right now. Pull me aside, we can talk, but I would love to be able to talk with you and pray with you through that. If you do not know Jesus, I pray that I've made it clear to you what he has done at Calvary and the salvation that is offered to you. I would love to pray with you and lead you in coming to know faith in Jesus Christ. But whatever it may be that God is leading, my prayer for you is that you would not put a block up. And instead that you would open your arms and say, Lord, come to me. I need you. Run to him. But they're going to sing this song, and I'm going to pray before we do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have the blessed assurance that Jesus is ours, that he is our king, that he was our substitute at Calvary. Thank you, Lord, for the atoning work of Jesus Christ, where Jesus took our place at the cross, and your wrath was poured out on him. We thank you, Lord, that it was for our sake that you made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. We don't deserve your grace, Lord. We don't deserve your mercy. Oh, God, we thank you for it. We pray now, Lord, that you would just move during this time, speak as you need to speak, direct as you need to direct. Be glorified, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together.